Well, we've heard that uh, Madhva Acharya held the conception that jivas were of different categories uh, in the mode of and those in the mode of uh, ignorance and passion didn't have an opportunity to attain moksha. My question is not really uh, regarding that except in the framework of we would assume that those followers of Madhvacharya did attain liberation if they followed properly, although they would have been influenced by what we would have considered a misconception regarding the uh, Jiva Shakti. So one could question, well, how important is some of the contemporary misconceptions that have sprung up? And as far as the ultimate attainment of current devotees, like inherency, like the Jiva Fall issue. Leave it too long. <laughs> Some devotees like Dulal. <laughs> Thank you for your question. Well, um, first let's talk a little bit about um, <clears throat> Madhva's idea. He is um, not entirely alone in his thinking and um, by that, I mean that in the Balb Sampradaya, which is in a larger uh, context, the Vishnu Swami Rudra Sampradaya, to go back to the four Vaishnava Sampradayas, is thought Brahma, Lakshmi, Chattusan uh, Kumaras, and Rudra Shiva. So. Vaishnava, one of the Vaishnava Sampradayas, and um, uh, from Rudra, the I guess a prominent uh, in Rudra is kind of like the myth historical range, and then we come into the somewhat historical historical realm of. Um, dating and so forth to Vishnu Swami, whose dates I don't know exactly, but um, like Ramanuja, like Madhva, um, like Nimbarka, for example, um, a person who articulated the um, what is now referred to as the Shuddha Dvaita philosophy, Shuddha purified non-dualism. It's a question of Sampradaya. Purified non-dualism differentiates it from the the radical or unqualified non-dualism of, 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 of uh, Shankar, which is uh, not a Vaishnava um, worldview. So, um, from Vishnu Swami, then in that line, you have the famous Sridhar Swami, whose commentary in the Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu very much appreciated, and who, uh, as such, all the Gaudiya commentators uh, respect, um, at times refer to, and at times cite, um, even as they, of course, have their their differences. Jiva Goswami, 
in his Tattvasandarbha offers respects to Ramanuja, to Madhva, to Sridhar Swami, for example, and these other sampradayas. With regard to the Vaishnava contributions, some of which we embrace um, in terms of tattva, philosophy, the siddhanta that you're, you're asking about, some of the points in which we, we differ on, which makes us who we are, the, the, the Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya, the Chaitanya Sampradaya. With regard to Sridhar Swami in the Rudra Vishnu Swami uh, Sampradaya, Jiva Goswami describes his teaching as kind of a, uh, uh, a baiting, a baiting of the Advaitins hmm, by presenting Vaishnavism replete with its conception of the Swarup Shakti, which is a huge issue for Jiva Goswami in, in Bhagavad Sandarbha, that God has a Swarup Shakti. Of course, you can understand it's a pretty big point for us. Bhakti is constituted of such and so on and so forth. Uh, so um, he acknowledges Swarup Shakti, uh, but at times he seems to write from an Advaita perspective. So Jiva Goswami considers his Advaitan statements as baiting the Advaitans to draw them in and um, and um, and his commentary for that matter Sridhar Swami's commentary, the famous commentary it is said that when it was uh, written then the Pandits didn't know what to make of it apparently the Pandits in Kashi, or not in Kashi, but in Benares, where, which is a kind of a land of pundits, uh, learned learned persons and so forth, um, they didn't know what to make of it. It's it's, it's a capital for for uh, Advaita, and so it was placed before the deity probably most venerated by the Advaitins, Shiva, and appropriately given that it's coming from the Rudra Sampradaya, and before the deity for his opinion, something like that. And it's said that from the deity came a verse. And what is that verse? Aham ved me, sukham ved me. Similar to that. That she was speaking, I know the meaning of the Bhagavatam, it's a commentary on the Bhagavatam. I know the meaning of the Bhagavatam. Uh, Sukadev knows the meaning. Um, the verse goes, Brickett Marge might know what he might not. Hmm. But um, why does it go? But um, anyway, it's not to be understood simply by by uh, by Gyan or by um, academic erudition, something to that effect. Hmm? Um, oh, and Sridhar Swami knows the Bhagavatam. Yeah, yeah. I know, uh, S- uh, Sukadeva knows, Prikshit may know, may not know, but Su- but Sridhar Swami knows. And it's not to be known simply by uh, academic uh, approach, more or less. Um, so, um, so, wow, Sukadeva was accepted and and historically, then, as you may know, there are four branches of the Advaitin Shankars, 
Sampradaya, four moths, four monasteries that he established. And one of them, and I believe it's the one in Jagannath Puri, that has charge of the Jagannath temple. They are the Pujaris and they run, do all the worship of the Jagannath temple. They're Advaitins. That school, amongst the four, is influenced by bhakti. There are statements from that Sampradaya, and I'm not sure if they're from Shankar directly himself, but there is a kind of a, 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 a popular opinion that from that from that school that bhakti is for people who are more psychologically emotionally uh, driven, and gyan is more for those who are psychologically driven by reason and um, and so forth. Which doesn't really hold up very well, given that there are some very reasoned, well-reasoned, well-thought-out uh, persons like Sha- like 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 Madhva, like Ramanuja, like uh, like Sridhar Swami himself, and and, uh, and Jiva Goswami, our acharyas, and so on and so forth. There are many many learned bhaktas. I've told this story before that once I was sitting with a group of persons and giving us a, a, a talk and answering their questions and. And afterwards, this one young man said, "Boy, for a uh, for a bhakti for a bhakti, you sure got a lot of janana." <laughs> and I said, "I think it's jnana." <laughs> and he said, uh, in, "In our ashram, only the women have bhakti for the guru." I said, "Yeah, that's a problem." <laughs> uh, so uh, I explained to him that yeah, there are, the devotees have some knowledge indeed. Uh, it is said, and it is quite reasonable, that um, bhakti gives gyan. He said, yeah, from bhakti you can get gyan. I said, but nowhere is it said from gyan you can get bhakti. So which is more complete? If bhakti can give gyan, but gyan cannot give bhakti, then bhakti must be more than gyan. It must be the end of gyan, and that is what the Rajavidya is explained to be in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Rajavidyam, Rajaguyam, the king of knowledge, the king of secrets. And what is it? Please. Manmana bhava madbhakta madhyajimam namaskuru. Worship me, Krishna says. That's become my devotee. Have your mind absorbed in me. Pay homage to me. Hmm? This is the king of knowledge. Hmm? So, in that school, of in that moth of the Advaitins, uh, there's there's a strong influence of bhakti there. I think the way they look at it is, bhakti is an easy and quick way to get gyan. So they've embraced that. But out of that school, um, some famous persons have come. One of whom is the famous Sridhar Swami, whose commentary we're with one of the things we're talking about here, right? In fact, he's listed in the ledger as being the head of the moth at Puri at one time. One person pointed that out to me and showed me the evidence with making the point that, see, he's actually an Advaitin. Jiva Goswami's wrong. Hmm? He was an Advaitin. He's the head of the moth. I say he was the head of the moth. Hmm? But from his Bhagavatam commentary, we can see that he's got a different opinion. And there were a number of people that came out of that school in that time hmm? Um, and and after that, from that time and onwards, 
who moved on from Advaita Vedanta, having bhakti influence, to bhakti itself as stronger schools of bhakti, well-reasoned, scripturally supported, began to manifest in the subcontinent of India. Um, it's one way of understanding, for example, the, the nine principal um, roots of the metaphoric tree of love of God described by Pujapad Krishnadz Kaviraj Goswami, Krishnadz Kaviraj Goswami Kijai. He says that the tree is rooted with these nine by the, in these nine sannyasis. Hmm? So it's very interesting because that means the the, the the trunk and the branches and the fruits, of course, of love of God, that are uh, uh, emotional in nature and can look similar to the world, are rooted in in giving up the world. Bhakti rasa hmm, um, is such that the one there's one very important rasa in bhakti rasa for all of us it's the secondary rasa hmm? and if you want to understand or enter into any other rasa like sakya rasa or madhurya rasa you have to understand this rasa it's called vibhatsa it means disgust and Jiva Goswami says it's the only rasa in the material world. It's all that you can get, all that you can get from acquiring and trying to get juice out of the rock of material uh, existence, to get water out of the desert of material existence. You just end up frustrated and disappointed, and and you have to become a little disgusted with tvamakinchana gocharam. You have to become a little exhausted with that futile effort and now you're in a you're primed hmm, to pursue bhakti rasa proper hmm? so uh, so these nine sannyasis they were very heavy and older than mahaprabhu i mean brahmananda bharati was uh, described uh, is described as wearing only a deer skin until mahaprabhu disapproved of that hmm? uh, because he was a little, he thought it, it fosters pride. I'm wearing a deerskin, only a deerskin, something like that. Just so Mahaprabhu disapproved, and of course he changed it when he understood that. But Keshava Bharati was the sannyas guru of Mahaprabhu. We, we are, he comes from a, from the Advaitin lineage and, and so forth. So some of these, in in those days, the sectarian lines were not as 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 well uh, drawn, so to speak. One might take sannyas here and uh, without getting permission over there, and uh, <laughs> and so on <laughs> and so forth. Uh, people were free to pursue their their their, their heart's uh, desire for spiritual life and association in, in, in sadhu sangha. So you might have some people who were initiated in the Advaita the Vedanta school and came in touch with the dispensation of Vaishnavism in one form or another, form of Sridhar Swami and uh, later <coughs> Balaba in that line and so forth and changed over. Hmm? It's possible that Madhavendra Puri could be looked at like that as well. And because if you look at the history of 
where you know there's there's for example there's um, anyway so what whether he is or not it's hard to say but there's definitely a, a number these sannyasis a number of them Keshav Bharti uh, Brahmananda Bharti uh, so forth Brahmananda Puri Keshav Puri they were coming from that that side um, most likely um, um, they uh, they there's an argument that they wouldn't have been coming from the Madhva line because why? Who knows? Because all of the Madhva sannyasis are named Tirtha. Ananda Tirtha, this Jaya Tirtha, this Tirtha, that Tirtha. So Madhva started this tradition and they're all called Tirthas. Hmm? That's the sannyas name. So that's one of the sannyas names. Shankar came up with, I think, ten sannyas names. I guess Tirtha is one of them. Um, that there don't have to only be ten, but that's how what he how he part of what he put into forming his his uh, his monastic order, right? So Puri, say that was it. His name is Puri. He couldn't have come from the from from Madhavendra's, or excuse me, from from Madhva's line. Hmm? Therefore, he must have been an Advaitin, but he's ob- he may have been an Advaitin, but he was obviously at a certain point came in touch with the Vaishnavism and, and became the, uh, the the seed, right, of the tr- of that metaphoric tree of of love of God. Hmm? So that Puri Mod has produced some good um, results there, and we, we look at Sridhar Swami as as a as a convert of convert of sorts. <clears throat> And nowadays, that's called the Balaba Sampradaya because of the, the prominent influence of Balaba, uh, who was a contemporary of Sriman Mahaprabhu, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Kijai. And um, with regard to uh, the uh, Abhideya Tattva, the way, the path, not in all regards, but with regard to the path, Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada has written in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which is a book about, in his section about the path, about sadhana bhakti. Rupa Goswami is teaching in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu about uttam bhakti, which is called shuddha bhakti. It's called ananya bhakti. Um, and other such, keval bhakti. Hmm? Exclusive bhakti, pure bhakti, mean no, no karma, no gyan influence, and so on and so forth. So in uttam bhakti, as Rupa Goswami refers to it, there are three divisions. So someone may ask you, are you an Uttam Bhakti? And you might go, no, I'm not an Uttam Bhakti. But in another sense, you, as a sadhaka, you are an Uttam Bhakti because you are a sadhaka of Uttam Bhakti. And Uttam Bhakti has the divisions of sadhana, bhava, and prem. So we are students in the school of Uttam Bhakti. It means that is the ideal that we embrace, that we would like to attain. We may not have attained that, fully. we may have other um, distractions, and so, but this is our ideal. So, um, so in in his in, and then within that he divides. Uh, he gives the two divisions of Vaidhi Bhakti and Rag Bhakti. Right, Rupa Goswami. After this, after his concluding verse um, in the Vaidhi Bhakti section, 
what does he say? He says, and this is also called by others Mariada, more or less the same, he says. And at the end of his Raganuga section, he says, and others refer to this as Pushti, which is more or less the same. So the terms Mariada and Pushti are the terms of Balaba in his Sampradaya, hmm? referring to similar divisions of a kind of more reverential form of bhakti and a more intimate form of bhakti, Mariada, Pushti, Vaidhi, Rag. So with regard to the way, so we know that, for example, Mahaprabhu has given the divisions of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana. So there may be some difference in the Sambandha. And that's what you're asking about. The way may be similar. If the way is similar, then the Abhideya, then the Prayojana, the goal, is going to be similar. So... For example, if Pushti Marg is similar to Rag Marg, then it has to end up in as as a as from our perspective, Rag Marg um, ideal. So certainly Vatsalya Bhakti that is prominent, Vatsalya Rasa that's prominent in uh, in uh, Balabha Sampradaya is a form of Braj Bhakti, Rag Bhakti, and there's a form of Madhurya Bhakti also. The different than ours, but the form of it uh, that is also taught in Balva Sampradaya. So that a little bit of a preface there, but um, it's interesting. It's good to be a little edified about uh, such things. So I, I bring up the Pushti Marga, excuse me, the, the Balva Sampradaya, uh, because in that Sampradaya, there's also like the Madhva Sampradaya, different kinds of different kinds of jivas. That was the question. In Madhva, he says there are different kinds of jivas. So we find it also to some extent in the Balabha Sampradaya. Otherwise, in all other forms of of, of Vaishnava Vedanta, the Atmas, the Jivatmas, they're all equal. They're all the same. They're all individuals, but they're all the same. Just like you might have so many different atoms. They're all atoms. They're all made up of the same thing. They all have the same potential, let's say, which is quite a bit of potential in the atom. Hmm? Um, and with the right circumstances and environment, that potential can come out. Hmm? Now, that said, one of the things that we all have in common as jivatmas, is that we are katritva. We have a capacity to be to to be agents of action. That means we have some will, and our will has efficacy or influence on the world and on who we what we can be in terms of potential. So. If you, you, you in Advaita Vedanta, there is no Atma. The Atma is an illusion. Hmm. What to speak of being an, not being an agent? It's not even doesn't even exist. It's an illusion. Um, in Yoga Siddhanta of potentially, also the Atma is not a not an agent of action, which, from a moral point of view, then brings the question: Well, 
How can anybody be culpable if they're not agents of action? Right? So problem there from our point of, from a moral point of view. So we have a very robust sense of the Atma. Now when you when you hear about the Atma, the Jiva Atma from the Gaudiya Sampradaya, you may not think it sounds that robust compared to what you how you think of yourself now. But if you kind of boil down what you are that enables you to be all that you are materially, which means what you are in relation to the material nature, the gunas. Hmm? So you are something, when in touch with the gunas, turns into something different than just some pulsating atma, right? <laughs> if you will, with a, with a potential to be an agent, a potential to have qualitative experiences, potential to, to, to know rather than being inert, to be, to be conscious, and so forth. Um, um, but comparatively, the description of the, of the, of the jiva in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is very robust hmm, in terms of other schools of Vedanta. And, it, and if it's, of course, if it's in touch with the Swarup Shakti, the idea is that it can really be something. Hmm? It can, it can make the material personality that arises out of contact with material nature um, really seem uh, um, uh, limited, let's say, comparatively. So, um, even a, what, what might appear like a partial person in Gaudiyavite, in, in Krishna Leela, a partial person like Brinda Devi. Yeah, who's her parents? What you know? What just like a forest nymph or something is uh, huge, right? Uh, in terms of possibility of uh, uh, experience and sacred rapture and uh, so forth. So, um, so uh, although we are all equal. Hmm, because we have, because we're agents of action, means we have will. Then, if you were to take two jivas, each with their capacity to will, to choose, it means right. Mm-hmm. And then you place this in the, them in the same circumstances. You you, you can't definitely say that they were both going to choose the same thing, because will is free. That's relatively speaking. It's it's you can't. It's unpredictable. Hmm. That said, also, when we boil down what is the jiva in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, independent of the Maya Shakti's influence, a nurturing influence, or a malnutrition, or independent of the Sarup Shakti, what is it? There's some value in doing that, and Jiva Goswami does that in the Bhakti Sandar, in the Paramatma Sandarbha. But in another sense, there is no time in which you are independent of either the Maya Shakti or the Sarup Shakti, because karma is an adi. Hmm? It's hard to wrap your head around, but you, the material person that you are life after life and the composite of that that prints out, you know, as Mr. So-and-so and Mrs. Such-and-such in this life and another one in another life and so forth, that's kind of just ongoing. It's changing. 
one time you're a man, next time you're a woman, what may be the case, but it's a composite of your your karma, right? Hmm? That karma has, has no beginning. So there's never a time when you were not under the influence of material samskaras. It's hmm? an interesting um, uh, point. Now, that said, when we come under the influence of bhakti, of course, what happens is the material samskaras are erased, right? Hmm? And based on those bhakti samskaras that we receive, then that will be the seed of the of the rati and the rasa that we attain. So we're going to do away with the material samskaras. But however, that said, it's also possible to reason that your material samskaras may play a role in who you are. Let's say, for example, you have two persons of two different uh, dispositions and they meet two different gurus that are both very qualified and one is in Madhurya Rasa and one is in Sakya Rasa. And for material reasons, based on their material samskars, without much sambandha gyan, one makes a choice to follow this guru and one makes a choice to follow that guru. Hmm? Then, in a, in a kind of a broad and remote sense, those material, material samskars also informed hmm, that person's ideal. Hmm? So uh, that's just an interesting point on the side. So when you kind of like, you know, try to like, let's separate out the jiva from the maya shakti and the srup shakti. What is it? And then how can it, you know, how can it, how can it, what makes a choice? What would cause it to make a choice? What you know, you say it has will. It can. Cho- what causes it to make one choice rather than another? You, you just can't. Um, well, <laughs> but it, but if you see the jiva as influenced by the Maya Shakti, then it has reason for making choices, right? Because it's 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 influenced in that way. So it's going to make choices accordingly, and it's always been like that. So it's an interesting. Hmm. Uh, issue that Vedantists uh, have dealt with. And, and Madhva, hmm, when he looked at this issue, he concluded that that anadi karma, which is the said to be the reason um, uh, for our conditioning and, uh, and, and, and I should say an answer to the uh, question as to whether or not God is is bias, <coughs> bias or partial. God should be impartial. Is the idea not give one a better situation than another? But we see people have different situations, some better than others. So is God impartial? Or is he partial? The answer, of course, is no. Then where does the partiality come from? It comes from karma. And then the question is, well, what if it, you know, what if it, what about at the beginning when karma started? Then the sutra said, well, there was no beginning to the karma. Hmm? So, okay. Um, um, so when, when Madhva understood this truth, then he thought, that's not enough hmm? to say anadi karma. Because he thought, there has to be some other reason 
why one jiva would choose one thing and one, another jiva would choose another thing. Hmm? Like I'm satisfied that he has will, will's independent, and mm-hmm. the choices have no beginning. You know, so but he so he interpreted a sutra of Vyas in a particular way, hmm? and uh, th- theorized uh, in his school of Dvaitavad Vaishnavism that along with anadi karma, there is also called something called Sarubhaved or Taratamaya, hmm? a gradation of jivas, Swarupa Bhed, jivas have, di- are ji- all jivas are not the same. His whole philosophy is Dvaita, difference, difference, different. There are this kind of, di- there are five kind of differences. One of the differences is between the jivas and the world, between the world and God, between the jivas and God, between the jivas and the jivas. Hmm? So he has Tamasic jivas, Rajasic jivas, and Sattvic jivas. Doesn't sound too good, does it? From our point of view. See, you've been really influenced by Gaudiya. Mm-hmm. That sounds unfair. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> Thank you, lucky stars that you're so influenced that you're that repulsed by the idea. Um, he supports it with statements, for example, from the Gita, however. In the Gita, we find um, what? Uh, and there's a, maybe this 16th chapter? Divine and demonic natures. I believe it's the 16th chapter. And there Krishna says, um, uh, I'll give you the English, basically paraphrasing that what, that um, life after life I place them in demonic wombs, those persons who are demonic and act like this and so forth. So there it is, he said. Hmm? Of course, we say something like they get so bad that they, be, they enter Krishna Leela. <laughs> it's such a big demon, and then Krishna <laughs> liberates them. Hmm? So. Um, so he said there are different kinds of jivas, and that, that's just the way it is. He says, hmm? and um, and the sattvic jivas—they're the ones that turn to bhakti hmm? and gyan and follow karma, the the, the, the varnashram. Those are the sattvic jivas. So you're okay. You're doing it. You're all the sattvic jivas. You haven't got a problem. <laughs> and other people, well, you know, they're like what um, Rangi Priya told me. She used to think everybody in the world was outside of the temple. When she was a kid, they're all demons. They have horns and and, and so forth. <laughs> uh, so be careful about that. Uh, could be true. <laughs> so in the Thomas, I think the Thomas. Uh, anyway, they, and they have slightly different destinations, but they always stay in samsara. They're just part of the samsara. And and Christian and God, according to Madhva, didn't make them like that. They just are. It just is. That's the way they are. We see that's the way they are. And they're offered bhakti and they offend and so forth. So, um, Of course, in our school, we have great conversions of, 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 of demons and, uh, and so forth. So we have a different perspective. Um, so, so in that school, um, I believe in a more prominent way than in the Balaba school, there is this emphasis on difference between jivas, hmm? and uh, and in their uh, you know, well to make it maybe not as precise, but as he says, tamasic sattvic, rajasic sattvic jivas. So the question of Dulal is that well, 
okay, that's a certain school of Vaishnavism. We disagree with that. Hmm? But in that school, people are getting liberated and attaining Vaikuntha. And so in, in our school, then, there are some times debates about whether jivas, for example, the nature of the jiva, is it a fall from Vaikuntha? Is it is bhakti inherent in the jiva, or is something that it's acquired through sarasanga? These kind of questions come up, and so forth. And so sometimes um, persons like Dulal are bent on, you know, t- teaching people what the ghost, the the the, the, the sampradaya is on this, with a view almost that if they don't understand it, then they're gonna they don't have the proper sambandha gyam, they're not going to attain the goal. But here we have somebody in another sampradaya who says, hey, you know, what to speak of, <laughs> what do you think? There's different kinds of jivas. Hmm? And uh, only the sattvic ones, uh, and so forth, will, will attain. And th- so is it really such a big deal? Do we have to make such a, or can we just chant and be happy? Hmm? And attain the goal. I mean, Rupa Goswami said, as I mentioned earlier, Pushti is more or less the same, Mariata more or less the same. So you know, you don't have to be so particular about it. Hmm? Um, so in answer, in reply to that, um, I think it's uh, important to note that, of course, in our sampradaya we have a particular goal. Hmm? And if you want to attain that particular goal, then it's important to understand the tattva, which is kind of the ground out of which that comes. And the goal is different than the pushti marg, similar but different, and uh, and uh, certainly different than the madva marg, what path, what you can contain, can attain through the madva sampradaya. It's it's um, it's important as a member of the Sampradaya itself to understand what it teaches and why it teaches. And there are certain implications you know, to that particular teaching about the nature of, of the jiva that are uh, important to know in terms of helping you to conceptualize the ideal and to pursue it. Hmm? Um, some may know it better than others, the tattva, and some are more, there are different dispositions. So Jiva Goswami talks about those who are driven more by feeling, those who are driven more by intelligence, the latter requiring to have answers to things according to scripture to a greater degree than others. But I think it's 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 important in your particular, you're in a particular school, to know what that school says about it and not... Um, be in that school and have an heterodox understanding of any particular issue. And a person like Jiva Goswami, for example, in his Sundarvas went to great length to make the point and differentiate our view from that of others. The view is different. The path is maybe similar but different than other Vaishnava paths. And the goal is different. So you want to put it all, it's important to put it all together. Um, and uh, that said, of course, um, w- w- one of the 
things that you brought up to all is like, well, does the jiva fall them by kuntha or not? And then is bhakti, what is the nature of the, of, of the jiva? They're obviously related, but it would be important to note that no Gaudiya, no, no Vaishnava Sampradaya um, says that um, that anyone, that the, the jivas who are here have fallen from, from Vaikuntha. Hmm? No one says that. The only thing that's somewhat similar to that is the way to Vedanta. <laughs> kind of. God has become ignorant. Hmm? Right? Um, they wouldn't appreciate it if I presented it like that, but um, it's something like that from, from our point of view. But no Vaishnava Sampradaya will will accept that. And it's important because if your goal that you're seeking is not eternal, hmm, eternal means it's sat, means it's real, means it's 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 per it's 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 siddha, it's perfect. So it's not subject to imperfection. So if, if perfection, if your ideal of perfection is subject to imperfection, then it's not even perfection to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So Krishna, for example, I've said this before, differentiates his abode in the Gita a couple of times from every other planet, even up to Brahmas. And how does he differentiate them? In all other abodes, one can fall down. In fact, one will, but not in my abode. Which would include like all of Vaikuntas and uh, and, uh, and and Goloka, of course. Hmm? So it's a pretty that's a pretty important uh, teaching. And if you if you think that that souls fall from there, well, of course, Krishna says in a number of ways in the Gita that's not the case. Going there, one never returns. And then sometimes we hear devotees say, "Well, that means those who go there from here never return, but those who haven't come here for the first time." <laughs> You know, they still have to come at some point, you know. Well, that means that the people, the souls that are there, who exemplify the ideal that we follow, they fall. That doesn't sound very good. Because <laughs> we follow them forever and wherever they go. So, you can see it's, it's a very problematic idea. Um Obviously, Prabhupada talked about it in a very simple way at times to dismiss the question altogether and to and to uh, always place the blame for our situation on ourselves. That's repeatedly what he did. You have free will. You have a choice. You must have. Hmm? You have you know, you, some people join, they leave, right? Oh, there, there you go. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Of course, if you play that out in detail, then that's another thing because the will of the jiva is very limited. Hmm? If it was as powerful as choosing to give up, to, to exercise itself and throw off the influence of the Sarup Shakti after being permeated by it, if it could do that, a Shakti that has the power to overwhelm Krishna, then certainly it could throw off the influence of the Maya Shakti without, without a thought. Try it. <laughs> I will that I am no longer in Maya. Our will is rather weak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It certainly doesn't have the power to cast off the the, uh, fully blissful and uh, satisfying influence of the Krishna Sarup Shakti or Bhakti. Uh, So, 
So that's one. Now the, the nature of the jiva, whether bhakti is inherent in the jiva or not inherent in the jiva. Now, um, okay, let's look at that. At all the sampradayas, hmm? and as far as I have understood, none of them teach that bhakti hmm, is inherent in the in, in, in the jiva shakti. Hmm? Hmm. It comes from scripture, from sadhusanga. It's a it's a grace of God. It's it's a blessing. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think you can find that teaching um, in any other sampradaya either. So we need to agree with <laughs> the larger group on, on those particular issues. Does that help? Yeah, further. Uh, just one thing. Uh, if we go back to the core, that all the sampradayas are are based on giving a, uh, a, a complete explanation of the Vedanta Sutra. The Vedanta Sutra concludes emphatically that no one falls. That's right. At so the end. You know, it's another, and I don't know, I haven't studied the whole Vedanta Sutra to know anything if it's stated there regarding inherency. Yeah, it, it, it is stated. Of course, in Balalif's commentary, it's uh, dealt with. It's dealt with in other sampradayas too, but, you know, they'll comment a little differently on, on, on the sutras. But uh, I've studied Baladev's commentary, and, and, uh, and he, he deals with it a couple of times. Also, I've studied Nimbarka Sampradaya's commentary on Vedanta Sutra, and they uh, agree entirely with uh, with Baladev Vidyabhusan uh, on that issue. Um, and I've looked at Ramanuja also. Um, Madhva's I haven't, but um, you know he hasn't. He, he, he doesn't teach the bhaktis, and he doesn't. He teaches some jivas or <laughs> uh, tamasic and rajasic. They certainly don't have bhakti in them. So, uh, so, and then what are the implications of that? If there's, if if bhakti is inherent in the jiva, then you've got what shanta bhaktas, and you've got shanta jivas, and you've got madhurya jivas, and you've got sakya jivas, and. Uh, about Salya Jivas, and obviously that's not a teaching of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Right? You never heard that, right? That, that, just to kind of put it in bluntly, um, no, that comes from those kinds of association. Some Jivas attain, according to their association and subsequent desire and sadhana, they attain Brahmasayuja. Where's the bhakti? That's inherent there. That's not inherent. So there, you know, it's not just a simple. There's a lot of related issues and problems that you can't take out this piece without the whole puzzle going crashing. And then where's that piece? And how do they all go together again? Um, so it's it's important to uh, have that ground of samandagyan firm, and then and, and that will that will help us with our conceptualize. For our practice, and like Bhakti Vinod Thakur said, uh, a lot of people today they seem to have the opinion just chant, just chant, you know, some other just chant, and uh, everything be great. Mm-hmm. And um, I even saw somebody sent actually, well, somebody sent me a video of some devotees in another group uh, doing uh, Hari Kirtan, and it was doing like it was doing it to like rap. Like a rap, the guy was a rapper. He was doing a rap, 
and then you have a Krishna, and then what have you? It's like very tamasic and very like like a, a very violent, you know, kind of uh, feeling. And then they were th- throwing the sannyasi around, carrying him around, and you know, on their hands and stuff like that. And I mean, Prabhupada would just be like appalled. I, I was appalled. Um, but I think the thinking is something like, well, they're chanting, they're chanting, right, Prabhu? Chant. Say Hare Krishna. Can you say Hare Krishna? Hare Krishna. Okay, he's liberated. Next. You know, I mean, you, you, you want to balance that idea with the entire, or ma- a major thrust from Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his time, where there were many nominal and name-only Vaishnavas born in the Vaishnava families chanting, but they were doing Namaparad because they didn't have Sambandagyan, hmm? and they weren't making progress. And that is why the Thakur wrote a hundred books. Hmm? That's why he emphasized, you can get this emphasis from Shiksha, from the devotee, from Bhagavad Shiksha. Now, nowadays people misunderstand it, devotees misunderstand it. Oh, Shiksha is more important than Diksha. You know, that's not what he was saying, but he was saying Diksha without Shiksha is like a seed without water. Hmm? It's not going to bear fruit. Hmm? So even if you get the diksha, which is the imparting of the mantra hmm, from someone, however qualified, whatever, if it's not followed up by siksha, then it's not going to bear fruit. Hmm? Therefore, the emphasis on sambandhagyan, that you can become conceptually Vaishnavas, because that conceptualization, whatever your conceptualization is, it's going to foster a certain type of activity. Hmm? If you have a a particular sexual orientation, you're going to act in a certain way, right? Hmm? Just to give an example, so, if you, or whatever, if you have a materialistic worldview, you're going to, it's going to foster a certain type of action. Hmm? So the Sambandagyan is a conceptual orientation, and in Gaudiya Vaishnavism will foster healthy practice of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Abhideya, the means, Bhakti, that will bear the fruit. Prem. Yes. Um, just in this, this um, idea of partiality, both in um, the whole idea of mother's tamasic jiva versus the sattvic jiva, um, or even with the inherent nature of the jiva, then you have a Madhurya jiva, the sakya jiva. So we say that, well, you use that often saying that that would show, if that were true, that would show that God was partial and we know that he's not. So my question would be, um, how is the fact that some jivas are eternally liberated and some jivas are eternally bound, how is that not partiality? Yeah, well, you know, really, technically speaking, if there were Sakya Jivas and Madhurya Jivas and so forth, you could say, well, God was partial. Or you could say, no, he's not. That's just the way they are. He didn't make them like that. They just are like that. Right. <laughs> so with regard to there are Mukta Jivas and there are Buddha Jivas, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and What's important is what we are, and which is, which is that we have the capacity to be on either side. We can live on either side. We can flounder on one side or flourish on the other. 
That's the very meaning of tatasta. Hmm? Tata. Go to one side or the other. It really doesn't, it really, technically speaking, doesn't have a constitution independent of that influence at any at any t- point in time other than what we call Vaishnav spiritual suicide, Brahmasayuja. Then you have a jiva with its likeness to Brahman, merging in some respect to Brahman, where there's no no environment, whether the Maya Shakti environment, the Srupa Shakti environment, so just stillness and just eternal slumber. Hmm? So we, we, Gaudiya Vaishnavas liken it to kind of a spiritual suicide. It's not a spiritual life. Hmm? But, um, but okay, that said, about your question, some are liberated. So, okay, what is their nature? Um, so, Krishna has an entourage. He has a father. He has a mother. Hmm? For these rasas, like Vatsali rasa, Sakya rasa, Madhuya rasa, to be eternal, hmm? and, and, and then, then they have, uh, there's no beginning. It's not at some point, Krishna's form is eternal. So it's not at some point, uh, mother came along and Krishna's form, you know, began, right? So there's no beginning to Krishna's form. At the same time, it is a product of Vatsali rasa. It is a product in Poganda of Sakya rasa. It is a product of Madhurya Rasa, hmm? in his Kishore Leela. To one extent, you can, you can go back and forth, the, the one and different, one and different. His form is is made up of the Sarup Shakti. Hmm? So, you know, sometimes you say, well, uh, we're not... We're, uh, anyway, Krishna's form is eternal. So, and and, and his form as, as, as a son or as a friend as a lover is eternal, right? So, for that to be there, there has to be the other side. There has to be the mother. There has to be the friends. There has to be the lovers. There has to be Radha. Hmm? You, you, you can't have one without the other. Hmm? So, these are eternally manifest. Vishwanath Chavati Thakur describes them as, as possessed of Anadi Siddha Samskars. Eternal, beginningless, perfect Tendencies to serve Krishna as with motherly affection, with with uh, friendly affection, romantic feelings, and so forth. Right. So theologically speaking, for there to be a Krishna, so you say, why are you know, hey, some are liberated, and some are not. Hmm. Seems unfair. Well, in order for there to be that ideal, just a reason about it to attain, they have to be there without a beginning. Hmm. Right. Um, uh, well, why can't everybody just be like that? Well, just everybody's not like that. So, we, you know, some of the questions are like, you know, uh, just let's just deal with what is and not why it is. Why is Krishna the way he is? I mean, you know, why is there a universe? Or why does anything exist? Why not nothing? It's kind of like you're wasting your time with that type of a question. Things do exist. Let's understand how they exist. Hmm? Right? How they exist. So we see, for example, we see ourselves. We see that we are, we are influenced by Maya Shakti. We see that we can be influenced by 
good association which is with learning we understand it's uh, coming from the sarup shakti and there'll be different results we we see that mm-hmm. so at any rate there are there have to be these god krishna is radhan krishna is is yashodanandan is is uh, nandanandan that's who he is when we say radha krishna okay we're talking about this it's not different in one sense in a broad sense it's in yashodanandan that's who he is you understand there's there's krishna and there's yashoda krishna's not alone that's probably just to say he's never alone hmm? that doesn't mean that there's a krishna and he's never alone it means krishna is a composite hmm? Right of the Shakti Man and the Shakti, hmm? the Sarup Shakti, that are that are not only one and different, but their oneness is is not that sometimes they're one and sometimes they're different, like in Nimbarka Sampradaya, which is a Beda Bed, but a Chindu Beda Bed means they're one and different at the same time. They interpenetrate one another. Hmm? His imminence is inter, interpen, interpenetrates with his transcendence. Mm-hmm. If we want to look at process theology, it, we, we, got, we can we can bother from like Hartshorn and um, Whitehead, for example. God is always becoming; he can change. Of course, they're the- theologizing about the nature of God, but they're always re- theologizing theologizing about the nature of God in relation to this world, because the only world they know. So, in process theology, God can 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 change as the world changes and changes mind and and he can be affected by the world he can be affected by the world and still be transcendent in classical theism he can't be affected by the world otherwise he's not going to be transcendent he's impassable in other words the effect of the world is ignorance and he doesn't have it so so in process theology that that's that see when you say god is impassable it means he 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 has no he has no uh, feelings like people of this world, which is based on ignorance, therefore he's fully transcendent. If he did have those feelings, he wouldn't be fully transcendent. So he wouldn't be. The, so he's up there, and we're down here. He's sacred, and we're profane, and never the two shall meet. But when they, in classical theology, I mean, from the Western point of view, when they start talking like that, then it then, then it starts to sound to some like, well, he doesn't sound that cool then, you know. We want him to be closer to us. So process theology tried to kind of bring him closer, without compromising his transcendence and so forth. So God is, is not static, but he's kind of dynamic and and he can change as things change. But the things that are changing are all in this world. Now, from our perspective, we can embrace this idea of process theology and say God is always changing. He's always he's newer and newer at every moment. Hmm? Let's say, for example, you become a sakha. In Krishna Leela, hmm? where is that Swarup? I thought the you know the, the Baba was eternal. If it's beginning at a certain time, then what? Hmm? Question. Well, what's what's eternal is Sakya Baba, and what Sakya Baba or Madhurya Baba does is eternally manifest in newer and newer ways to serve Krishna. That's what it does. The Swarup Shakti is always manifesting in newer and newer ways to serve Krishna. Hmm? That's what that's its nature. So you understand the dynamic nature of the Paravyom hmm? under the influence of the Srupa Shakti is new things are happening. 
and the substance out of which they're happening is eternal. So those things are existing eternally in potential within the Sarup Shakti, and they manifest in a particular way hmm, as as circumstances warrant. Hmm? You understand? So let's take let's take Gopu Kumar for example in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. At a certain point, he 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 enters into Goloka Vrindavan. Hmm. He's anointed as Sarup. Sarupa is your name, Sarup Gopa. Hmm. Right. So, where was his, you know, where was his Gopa self previously? It's deep within within the Godhead himself. At Srup Shakti, it's in a potential form. We say the Srup Shakti is in Krishna and it manifests outside his Radha. So it's there in potential. Hmm? And and it comes out. And what comes out with it? Some people think, well, there's these Srups, they're kind of like, I don't know, floating around. And they're, they're sometimes they've, I've heard they described like this. And they're, they're like dormant. And then Krishna picks one and gives it to the Guru and the Guru gives it to the Jeeva and it becomes activated. Hmm. Something like that. Hmm. And sometimes they argue like this because we'll see it's eternal. It has to be always be there. Hmm. Couldn't have started at a certain time. But what about all the leelas that go with it? What about the leela that Gopakumar entered into that was new? Krishna saw Gopakumar and he embraced him and passed out. That leela hadn't happened before and everybody in Goloka went, what's going on? Who's that guy? Hmm. So there's a whole leela, right? So there's new leelas all the time. But the leelas are eternal. We don't think because there's a new leela doesn't mean it means that leelas aren't leelas aren't eternal. Hmm? So he's 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 leela mai. He's leela purushottam. Hmm? And he, 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 they're all existing potentially in him, and the srup shakti is bringing it out, manifesting it. Different persons and players, and they fit just like yeah, it's supposed to be there, always been there, whatever. <laughs> it all, it's uh, and of course you have to understand this this paravyom the the aprakat lila it's very special it's it's in some ways, in essence it's the same as the prakat lila but in in some ways it's very different. Hmm? I'll give you an example. We'll, we'll stop with this. Padmanabh. Uh, 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 Swami asked my permission to uh, to study a, a, a text by um, Siddha Krishnadas of Govardhan from a couple hundred years ago. He wrote a, a gutika, like a like a like a little text describing a, me- a meditation of the sadaka in eternal Gorlila. So the Gorlila, this is happening, and then the sadaka who there as a Brahmin boy will do this at this time, and the Leela's going on, how it's happening, describing it, how he's experience it, experiencing it in, in the Nityanabhadweep, and then the Sadak has a chance to do some service and, and so forth, right? So so um, this is meditation, right? So at one point he says, and at this time of the day, the Sadaka will clean the the, the, the bathing and toilet area of, of, his, of his guru. Hmm? That will be his service, mm-hmm. and you know. And another time, there's something else, and so forth. So, so, so you meditate at this time. I will do this. I'll me- and then the question is, I, w- I was recently cleaning 
up the cow pens for the zebus at uh, in, in at Adaria, and that's I was thinking oh, all the all as I said last night all the all the gods are in the cows, cows are our gurus also our deities. Here I am cleaning the toilet of my guru, in the Gorlila, and then I kind of chuckled and I said, where are the god brothers and god sisters? Hmm? And and someone is thinking. Guru Maharaj is my guru, and I meditate, and I will clean his, his his bathing area. And meanwhile, he, Guru Maharaj, is thinking, I'm bathing the Prabhupada's area. So you need all these precautions, all these different sections, right, where you're the only one <laughs> there. Meanwhile, the guru is also there, and he's also somewhere else doing that for his guru. And then there's so many godbrothers and godsisters also doing it. So it's a multi dimensional, you understand? All kinds of possibilities. Therefore, you may hear different reports about what it's like, right? And different precautions from different devotees. So it's good to kind of open it up a little bit and, uh, because sometimes it's, it's presented kind of in a rather linear way and it's exactly like this and so forth. You know, even with the descriptions of the leelas, you can say, well, it's described this way in one kalpa, it happened this way in another kalpa, or you can say they took poetic license, or you can say the acharya, the, the author, was experiencing it in this way. Hmm? Um, I mean, it is it is an interaction between the devotee and Krishna. That's what it is. Hmm? And, and as he or she is experiencing it, they can write about it, talk about it, and of course it will all fit within the parameters of what is Rasa Tattva, and we have a new section, you know, so to speak, right? <laughs> so no, no no, harm, no problem. So, answer your question, yours, and we'll stop there for tonight. Sri Sri Gaurada Madhava Ki Jai, Kuri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Ki Jai, Good premanandi. Oh.